If you haven't been here for this sermon series so far, we are in the fourth and last part of our series called How Not to Obey God. This whole series revolves around the Jewish prophet Jonah. And so far, we've read through the first three chapters of his story. Now, when we hear the word prophet, sometimes we think of a kind of fortune teller. And it is true that the Hebrew prophets did uh, bring God's message about the future to God's people. But more often, prophecy is about bringing the word of the Lord to God's people. And it both brings judgment against sin and wickedness and injustice, but also offers hope for those who put their faith and trust in God and repent and turn away from their sin. Now, Jonah is a special case, though. Typically, the prophets would go to God's people, and that makes sense because they uh, were in a covenant with God. They were called upon to follow the Torah, and when they disobeyed and turned away from that covenant and broke that covenant and promise with God, God would send prophets to rebuke them and say, come back, uh, keep the promises you made to God. But Jonah is called to go to Nineveh, and this is the capital city in the Assyrian Empire. And imagine them as like the big bad villains of the Old Testament. And the Israelites hated the Assyrians. Now, uh, that was actually based in, that hatred was kind of based in some reality. The Assyrian Empire was very destructive and, and was constantly on the warpath. And so eventually the Assyrian Empire does come in and destroys part of Israel. So there was this relationship of they are our enemies. And it is shocking that God calls upon a Jewish prophet to go to the heart of the Assyrian Empire, the heart of where all the villains are, and preach a message of judgment. Now, so far, uh, we're in the very first chapter, we're not surprised that Jonah disobeys. He runs in the opposite direction of where God wants him to go. The Assyrian Empire is in the east, and Jonah goes west. He gets on a ship and sails away. But God sends a storm upon that ship, and Jonah says, throw me overboard and the storm will cease. But what, hap what, what Jonah is doing there is uh, not really repenting or changing his heart and mind. Uh, he's trying to sabotage God's plan. He thinks, if I don't go to Nineveh, then no prophet's going to go to Nineveh, and Nineveh's going to get judged and destroyed for their sin. But God, in fact, sabotages Jonah's plan. He sends a large fish to swallow Jonah up and vomit him out on dry land. So Jonah's plan does not work. Now, in the second chapter, we read a prayer that Jonah prays from inside the fish. And at first, it sounds like a prayer of thanksgiving. And he seems very grateful that God has saved him from drowning and sinking to the bottom of the sea. But we actually see a lot of pretense in the prayer. Jonah never once apologizes. He never repents. He never says sorry because he doesn't think there's anything he should be sorry about. His heart and mind are the exact same as they were in the very first verses of the book. He is pretending. I have nothing to be sorry about. So in the third chapter, the word of the Lord comes again to Jonah, and he actually does obey, but what he does is he goes to Nineveh, and instead of preaching many times and preaching big sermons and going throughout the whole city, he takes a, a day journey into the city, he preaches a five-word sermon, and then he's done. 
he does the absolute bare minimum. And this is what we talked about last week. Obedience is not just finding out what's sufficient in God's eyes or acceptable or enough. True obedience sees how much can I do for God. And for Christians, this means lifelong discipleship uh, and following Christ. We want to explore the depths of obedience, not uh, the least we can do. Now, uh, in the very end of the third chapter, we see that the Ninevites repent. They hear Jonah's terrible sermon and actually respond to it. Uh, and God relents. He doesn't send punishment. And maybe we're holding out hope that in the fourth chapter, maybe Jonah will change. But we read, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry and he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. That's the city that's west that we, we think was actually an ancient city in Spain. And, and he's saying, this is what I tried to forestall, God, when I fled to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love and a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, to Jonah's credit, this prayer in chapter four is a little bit more genuine and sincere than his prayer in chapter two. We didn't know some of this information until chapter four, but it's crucial. Jonah claims that while he was still in northern Israel, when the Lord came to him uh, the first time, he says, isn't this what I said? I knew that this was going to happen. I knew you were going to do this and be merciful to the Ninevites. This is what I tried to forestall. I knew you had a plan, God, but I wanted to do everything in my power to put obstacles in your path. And you've got to read this with the right tone. He's not, he, he's actually quoting scripture when he says this, but you've got to read it in Jonah's tone. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, a God who relents from sending calamity. That, you've, you've got to hear the tone. He's complaining about that. He doesn't want God to be this way. It's, you, you can easily picture Jonah rolling his eyes and mocking God. Now, we see Jonah's uh, self-destructive tendency come up again. And you can see him. He's so dramatic. Take my life, God. It is better for me to die than to live. I'd, I mean... I'd rather die than see my preaching work in Nineveh. That's what Jonah is saying. But I love God's response. Is it right for you to be angry? Now, if we remember back to chapter 1, God was angry at the Ninevites' wickedness. But what God is asking is, are you angry that the Ninevites actually repented, and are you angry that I didn't destroy them? Is it right for you to be angry? Now Jonah, Jonah doesn't answer this. Instead, what he does is he goes outside of the city to a place east of it, 
and he makes himself a shelter. He sits in its shade and he waits to see what would happen. So this question is left hanging. We don't know Jonah's response yet. He, he still is holding out hope that God is going to destroy Nineveh. And he almost wants a, a kind of front seat to watch as sulfur rains down from the sky and destroys Nineveh. He creates for himself this little shelter so he can watch. He can be the witness of Nineveh's destruction. I love this. While he's out there, and he still hasn't answered God yet, the Lord provides a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. This is the first time in four chapters that Jonah has been happy. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And again, we read, Jonah wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Now, we're seeing a kind of strange scene at the end of this book. But I want to point out that so far, we've been told four times in the book of Jonah that God provides something. God provides the large fish to swallow up Jonah when he's in the sea. God provides a leafy plant to give uh, Jonah sh shade. Uh, God provides a hungry worm to then eat that plant up. And then God provides a hot wind. Now, Jonah thanked God for the fish. Jonah was very happy about the leafy plant, but he is very angry about the hungry worm, and he's very angry about this little sunburn that he gets. Now, what in the world is God doing in this little object lesson? My theory is that Jonah is sitting out there hoping that God will do exactly what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. Jonah wants God to blow the place into smithereens. Jonah does not want God to be slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from calamity. Jonah wants God's judgment. He wants God to punish the Ninevites. And Jonah is angry if inconvenient things happen to him, but he is furious if terrible destruction doesn't happen to his enemies. You can see how hypocritical he is. A, a tiny sunburn on the top of his head is worthy of wanting to die, but he's also angry if the Ninevites don't die. He's upset with a hot wind, but he wants God to bring down sulfur and destruction upon Nineveh. In other words, Jonah is pouting. He obeyed God and did the bare minimum he could, and his work actually succeeded. He got different results than what he wanted, and God is not doing what he wanted. So Jonah is pouting and sulking. And so he admits, God, it is right for me to be angry. I am angry. I'm angry about the plant, I'm angry about Nineveh, and I'm angry at you for showing mercy and compassion and grace. 
I'm so angry, in fact, I wish I were dead. When I was little, my uh, parents uh, referred uh, to one of my bad habits as the Mitchell slump. Um, I would ask my parents for something, they would say no, and then I would slump. Um, and this became so infamous that they would say, don't do the Mitchell slump. And when, because I, I would do this and I would say, fine, okay, whatever. And it got this name because my parents were trying to teach me how ridiculous this was. And they were trying to ask, is it right for you to be angry? And this is what God is trying to teach Jonah. Is it right for you to pout? Is it right for you to slump? Is it right for you to sulk in anger? Are you really thinking it's okay, it's justified that you are upset? Because you're upset about a little plant that I provided for you, but you're not upset about Nineveh? This is exactly what God says. You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? God just doubles down on his criticism of Jonah. Look, you've been concerned about this plant that I gave you. I didn't have to give you that. You didn't deserve that. I gave you that as a little object lesson of how ridiculous it is for you to slump and sulk over this tiny little plant. But at the same time, you're pouting about Nineveh and that it's not being destroyed. It has 120,000 people in it and you don't care. You don't want me to be concerned. By the way, you quoted that passage from scripture, Jonah, and you're right. I am compassionate and gracious. I am slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I do maintain love to thousands and I forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin. But you forgot to quote the rest. I do not leave the guilty unpunished. I punish the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. You didn't quote the whole thing. I am just and merciful. I was angry about their wickedness and sin, but because they repented, I relented. Because they turned, I turned. Do you not want me to be concerned about 120,000 people and at the same time you want me to be concerned about the leafy plant that I took away? You want me to be concerned about your sunburn and you don't want me to be, be concerned about 120,000 people? I am a just and merciful God. I care and love and cherish everyone I create, including you and including the Ninevites. And because I'm not only this, you're mad that I'm that. Because I'm not just a God of justice, I am also a God of mercy, you are pouting. And that's the end of the book of Jonah. It ends right after God's question to Jonah that is never answered. God's last words are, should I not be concerned? This whole series has been called How Not to Obey God. We've seen Jonah run away 
We've seen him pretend that he's got nothing to be sorry about. We see him do the bare minimum, and now we see him pouting. And reading Jonah's story is reading our story. We're seeing how ridiculous it is when we slouch and slump and pout when God doesn't do what we want him to do. Part of our obedience to God is our attitude. It is our posture towards him and his works. And so the question for us is what stance are we going to take when God does what he wants? One of the most common verbs that describes both the Israelites in the Old Testament and the Pharisees in the New Testament is the word grumble or mutter. Whenever Jesus does something that the Pharisees don't like, they grumble or mutter. Whenever God does something the Israelites don't like in the wilderness, they grumble or mutter. This is the perfect word for Jonah. He sees what God does and he grumbles. He pouts and slumps and resists and mutters about what God is doing. And he should have and could have been amazed and surprised and in awe and dumbstruck and grateful that God did miracles through him. And that's why God needs to correct him and show him how ungrateful he is and to give him this little object lesson to show how ridiculous it is that he's pouting. Now, I know that it seems strange that God would command us to be grateful for what he's done. This strikes a lot of people as strange at the very least Uh, that God would say throughout scripture, thank me for what I've done. But this is not about God's vanity or God's self-aggrandizement. God is teaching us to align ourselves with reality. If you knew someone with great wealth and privileges and access to incredibly rare opportunities in life because of the hard work of their family member or a mentor or their ancestors and they weren't grateful, you wouldn't like that person. And trust me, you don't wanna be that person because they're not grateful. They don't have, they, they aren't aligned with reality. They don't have a sense of the fact that they've received so many gifts and privileges, things that other people haven't received. And the truth about our lives is that everything good in our lives is a gift from God in a direct or indirect way. Our existence, our life, our moms and dads and siblings, our home, our food, our education, the work we have, the service we're able to do, the art we're able to make, the entertainment we're able to enjoy, all of that is a gift. I mean, think about Jonah's life. He got a word from the Lord. Not everybody gets that. Jonah experiences miracles firsthand. A fish swallows him up and saves him from drowning. Not a lot of people get to experience that. Jonah saw God convert an evil city with the worst sermon ever delivered. Not a lot of people get to see that. But he's ungrateful. He pouts and slumps and he's sad for himself and he thinks it's right and justified that he's angry. He's ungrateful. Now, I think this is actually one of the most challenging parts of obedience to God. Sometimes we actually do obey God, but we're upset about it. And we get so frustrated and ungrateful. I think we underestimate truly how challenging gratitude is. To be Jonah's advocate for just a second, these are his enemies. 
These are the villains of the story. They're going to come in and destroy his people. I can understand why he's pouting. I can understand why he slumps. I can understand why he grumbles. Bitterness is one of the most difficult obstacles in Christian life. Gratitude is not easy. It's fine and all to be grateful for the gifts that God gives us, the gifts that we want, but what about gifts that we don't want? What about being someone who sees your enemies not get punished? That's a gift. That's a miracle, but it's hard to be grateful for it. And the question for us at the end of this story of Jonah is, will we be thankful? We've got to hear God's question ring in our ears. Are we right to be angry? Are we right to pout when God does something we don't want him to do? Will we be grateful Will we be thankful? Will we change our attitudes toward him? Now, there's good news throughout this series. God works with and through and despite disobedient people. He works with those who run away from him. He works with those who try to sabotage his plans. He works with people who pretend they've got nothing to be sorry about. God works with people who do the bare minimum. God works with those who who slump and pout and grumble about his works. But what if we didn't? What if we ran in the direction that God told us to go? What if we didn't pretend but confessed our sins to him? What if we didn't do the bare minimum, but we tried to do the maximum? What if we didn't grumble and mutter and pout? What if we gave thanks to God for the miracles that he performs? Now, God will work with you, and God will work with me, even when we're like Jonah. But what if we weren't like him? What if we saw in his story, our story, and what if we saw opportunities to be different than Jonah? Because he's showing us how not to obey God. So what if we worked towards obeying God in the fullest and deepest and richest sense of obedience? What if the Holy Spirit empowered us to do everything we could? That's a church that I would be interested in. That's the kind of Christian that I want to be. And my prayer is that God would empower us to be those kinds of Christians.